0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Matt Swing. so without further ado, here he is. Continuing in a series, this is part two of a hundred part series that we're going to do over the next two years. Basically we are covering uh, the story of redemption from beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Um... If you've never had the opportunity to go through uh, a course or, a, or go through the Bible from beginning to end in this way, I think you'll find this very fulfilling and very enriching. Uh, all that said, a hundred things in the Bible, these are the hundred of the things that we feel in, in leadership are very important, but they are by no means all you need to know of the Bible. So this is a good introduction. Um, in the meantime, you'll, you'll need to supplement uh, your, your, uh, your understanding of the Bible with your own daily reading. So look with me now in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat eat the food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and and eat, eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. If you've ever taken a class on literature, you've probably studied four main parts of any good story. The four elements of any story are setting, conflict, climax, and resolution. Every good story contains these four parts. If you miss one of these parts, it's probably not a very good story. If you've ever watched a movie that has no conflict in it at all, You've probably fallen asleep, because those are the kinds of movies, if they are even, if it's even possible to create, would be a movie that would just leave you so wanting. You would, you would have nothing that you would be able to connect with in the movie. As we look at the story of redemption throughout the history of the world, we see a story. We see a story that was based. The setting was Earth in this beautiful garden called Eden. The garden, everything was perfect. Everything was as it should be. Shalom wasn't a wish. Shalom was the way of life. It was the way things were. Shalom means that everything was how it should be. There was a peace. There was love. There was a, there was a rightness to the world. Work existed, but work uh, gave people a sense of pleasure. People walked alongside of God and they were able to communicate with him freely. Relationships among humans, between one and other, was perfect. There was not conflict. The reason that we resonate with stories that have conflict is because that is our story. This is not another story talking about conflict, but this is the first story, and this is the reason that all stories with conflict draw us. This is the reason that we are compelled and that we uh, we resonate with stories that have conflict in them. Verses 5 and 6 <clears throat> For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, good food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. As we look at the first at the fall, the story of corruption, there are three main areas that we're going to look at. The first area is the corruption between God and humanity. You see, in the garden there was a perfect relationship between God and humans. God was the object of our worship. We are created to be worshipful. Um, I recently read a, 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 uh, an article by a worship leader, and he said there is no one who does not worship. So everyone in the world worships something. It's the object of our worship that is important. There is something in the way that we are wired that is designed to be, we want to worship something. At the fall, we see Eve wants to substitute something else for the proper worship. God is the proper object of our worship. But through selfishness and pride, through the desire to gain wisdom, Eve thinks that she can take over uh, the place of God. She wants to be like God. She wants to usurp His place in, in the, in the realm, in this realm. I don't know if you guys have children. I do. Um, and sometimes I'll come home and my running shoes will be missing. And I'll look around the house and I'll find one of my kids walking around the house with the running shoes and they're clomping along. And it's kind of funny. It's cute looking. Um, but these shoes are huge on, on little, on little feet. It doesn't work. But those, if, if my children take those shoes and go outside and try to run with them, it's going to cause them to trip and fall down. If they try to usurp my place in those shoes, it's not going to work. Those shoes are designed for my feet. They're designed for someone of my size of my stature. No matter how hard my children try, they can't fill those shoes. Those shoes are not made for them. In the same way, Eve tried to usurp the place of God. another thing that happened in the midst of this corruption between the relationship between God and humanity was shame and guilt God came to the garden looking for for Adam and Eve it seemed like it was something he did regularly it seemed like it was part of their natural rhythm that God would come and spend time talking with them and they heard him, they knew he was coming they knew who it was and their first reaction should be to run to him That was the kind of relationship that they had experienced before. But because of the corruption that entered the world at their sin, they ran the other way. And they ran in shame and guilt. Their brokenness is revealed in in the sense that they they seek to to go the other direction. Isn't it interesting how sin often causes a chain reaction? One moral misstep leads to another. You see this very clearly when a, when a child does something wrong. Like they take something that's not theirs. And you ask them, did you take this, knowing full well that they did? And the child says, no, I did it. And you say, are you telling me the truth? Yes, I am. Each step along the way, they, they pile sin on top of sin. They're not, they're not doing better. They're doing worse with each step. You already know that they've done something wrong. With each question, they, they bury themselves more under guilt. Sin causes this chain reaction in our lives. The proof of this corruption still exists today, even as we look around in this congregation. And no, I'm not going to point out anybody and say, oh, look at this person. This is a clear example. But think about it. The fact that we need to come together once a week and review the words that God gave to us, and study them together, and, and hear the words of this message. If the, the fact that we need to do this weekly just in order to maintain a right relationship with God doesn't indicate that there's something wrong in our lives. The fact that we are not capable of doing it on our own. The fact that we need to be reminded every week what it means to follow Christ. Is that not a, an evidence of corruption in our own lives? Think about the Bible reading program that we've started. The very fact that it's so difficult for us to read the very words that God has given us to to know about him. The fact that we must have other people hold us accountable shows us, it demonstrates to us that we don't truly love God. We don't truly desire to seek him in our lives. It's not a natural thing. We are corrupted. That's part of what happened in the fall. We don't naturally find ourselves drawn to God. We try, we've tried to fill that space with all kinds of other things that are, are not worthy. The second thing that happened was that the relationship between humanity and humanity was corrupted. Look with me in verse 11. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman... You put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. A couple of things struck me as I was reading that. We all have the tendency to, to try to defer blame from ourselves. And we will lash out at anyone who is around us. The first thing Adam says, it's her fault, and it's your fault. She did it, and you made her, and it's, all, it's your fault. I didn't do it. I'm, I'm clean. I'm sorry. It's the woman. In fact, I've even, I've even heard all of our problems in the world have been blamed on Eve and women in general. It's that lashing out. That is sin its, at its finest when we lash out at others and seek to put blame on other people and not take responsibility for our own actions. I brought some photos that I want to share with you. These are all photos from 2008. These are evidence of not only corruption and sin, but especially of the rupture uh, between humanity and humanity. This is a a Lehman Brothers office in London shortly before uh, they filed for bankruptcy. So, we live in a world of economic uncertainty. There's a brokenness in the economies of the world. Even when things are going well, there's a brokenness in the way that things happen. We live in a world of poverty and hunger. This is a Sudanese girl on her way to receive daily rations. She's one of millions of, of children that I could have put photos up here of. Uh, this hunger is a is a normal and natural part of this world, unfortunately. We live in a world full of refugees and human trafficking. Human trafficking has become one of the most lucrative uh, forms of making money in the black market today. It far usurps uh, drug trafficking um, or any other kinds of illegal trafficking because if you own a person and you're able to make them make you money, they can continue making you money uh, day in and day out and day in and day out. And it, so you, from one person, which you invested nothing in, you reap all the money that they can, can get garnered for you in the course of their lifetime. This is a human corruption at its finest. This is a uh, bomb blast from terrorists in the Marriott at the capital of Pakistan. We see more and more terrorism in our world. It's becoming the norm. It's no longer something that shocks us. Sometimes it doesn't even make the news because it's just so normal. This is a. <clears throat> These are victims of a cyclone in Myanmar. They're they're trying to flee from uh, the floodwaters. Uh, the reason it is labeled under oppressive regimes is because Myanmar was offered tons of support through the United Nations, through the United States, through various countries, and the government rejected it, even at the cost of, of many lives in their own country. We live in a world of racism and genocide. If somebody wrongs you, then you wrong them, if they wrong your family, you wrong their family. Before you know it, entire races are, are trying to... People are trying to exterminate entire races of people. This photo was taken in Kenya. and It happened after the, uh, the elections of, of the new president last year. And if you recall, uh, tribes were, some of the tribes were trying to wipe out other tribes. We live in a world of wars. This is a U.S. Marine fighting the Taliban in a firefight in Afghanistan. I could go on, I could show many more pictures. Drug abuse, rape, murder, epidemics. Our world is full of corruption between humans against other humans. When I was in Spain, uh, I was talking with a friend of mine who was a an atheist, and we were walking down the street one day, and we were, we were talking about these kinds of issues, you know, wars and problems and things that are going on in the world. And at one point, I was curious. I was like, how does somebody with a worldview that God doesn't exist. How do they deal with all this? What are, what are they, what's going through their mind? And so I remember asking him the question. I said, what do you think is the root problem of, all, of everything that's wrong in this world? What is, the, what is the root problem? And he was quiet for a while, and we walked for a while. And then he looked at me, and he said, you know, I think the root problem is selfishness. Everyone seeks to put themselves above others. And I remember saying, wow, that's awesome, that is right. You know what, that is the Christian worldview too. I thought that was really amazing that someone who, who, who didn't believe that God existed could observe the world and still see that the, the root cause of problems in this world was selfishness, which is really sin. We have a tendency in our lives to say, "Wow, that's sin. That's horrible. Those terrorists, those immigrants, those refugees, all that stuff. It happens so far out there. Man, those people are so bad. Those people are so messed up. Wow. But we're we're okay. I mean, come on. Look at me. Look at my life. I'm okay. I I'm not really that bad compared to them. Isn't that the natural tendency when we see photos like that? Those things seem very distant, very other. It seems like that's, that's not really the world that we live in here in the north- northwest suburbs. But we are like fish living in a polluted stream. When you're in a polluted stream, you don't realize the stream is polluted. That's just what you know. The only way for you to know that your stream is polluted is to experience something else. But think about it. We have to live in a world where we lock our car doors when we park our car. That's not the way it should be. If we lived in a, in a world that where things went the way they should be, I wouldn't have to worry. I wouldn't even need locks on my car. Nobody would take my car. Or if they did, they'd bring it back with a full tank and some extra money in it just to, to say, hey, thanks for letting me use your car. That's the way the world should be. We wouldn't need laws. People wouldn't need to be told what to do in order to love other people. That's basically, when it comes down to it, that's the reason we have laws. Because we are so horrible at loving other people, we don't know how to take care of them more than ourselves. And because of that, we need laws upon laws upon laws. And they become ever more restricting and ever more uh, refined. And they still don't cause us to love others. We need police. The fact that we need police to protect us shows us and demonstrates that we live in a world that has fallen and corrupted. We need governments. In spite of how bad some governments are, imagine the alternative of people just living in chaos. We often can't even comprehend the full guilt and the full weight of our sins in our own lives. Think about it as a parent. We we think about our children. We love our children so deeply, but even our love for our children is messed up. I a few weeks ago, uh, I was reading a story to my kids. I was reading *Cat in the Hat*, and I was like, you know, just reading through it really quickly. It's like, just you know, come on, let's go to sleep because then I can have some quiet time. I can just, I can relax. I can watch TV. And the next day, I was watching this video about you know slowing down and taking taking time to slow down in life. And the guy who was who was uh, giving the talk said, you know. Uh, he said, last week I was reading the cat in the hat to my kids and I was speed reading through it. And I realized I was speeding so fast. Like we were just, and I, immediately when I when he said that, I felt so convicted. I was like, wow, I'm rushing through my life with my kids. I say I love them, but I honestly, I love myself so much more. You know, that love for children can be taken to the opposite extreme, uh, an extreme of over love or what C.S. Lewis calls, um, his, he has a term for it, I think it's called mother love, where the parents are so engaged in their children's life and they so want them to fulfill all the parents' dreams that they, they are suffocating their children. That's not love either. That's our tendency. That, that's, a, uh, that's a corruption within the heart of man towards others. Why do so many marriages struggle and fail? If we were generously, generously loving our mates considering them better than ourselves, not holding records of wrongs, I don't think we would see nearly as many marital problems as we see in our world. As we look in the media in, in this past week, one of, the, one of the deepest and oldest conflicts in the world has been playing out for us on the news. Uh, if you look at uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict both sides claim to be the victims, and out of their claim to be victim, both sides are using ever-increasing uh, forms of, of derision, forms of uh, combat to, to fight. This is not something that will be solved easily, and this is not a conflict where you can say, oh, these guys are so spotless, and those guys are so horrible. Both sides are guilty because of sin. Both sides perpetuate the sin. And the more that one side sins, the more that the other side sins to get back. This is not something that's new. This goes back to the Garden of Eden. As we look at our own political systems, I recently read somebody who said, you know, the genius of the American system is not that it's based on freedom. They said that the genius of the American system is that it's based on checks and balances. Basically, the American system believes that everyone is inherently bad and doesn't trust anyone. And that is the beauty that makes it work. Think about it. Even our monetary systems. Communism doesn't work. It's very obvious if you look around the world. The reason communism doesn't work is because people can't share things equally among others. There's always the desire to have a little more, a little more power, a little more prestige. Selfishness makes communism impossible in this world. If people truly live selfless lives, communism might work. I don't think that's going to happen. Let's take a look at capitalism. Capitalism works very well. The reason capitalism works so well is because it's based on selfishness. We still need checks and balances to check people's greed, to, check their, their, uh, to make sure that they're held accountable. But it's that desire to, for self-preservation, that desire to, to create more and more stuff for yourself that perpetuates the capitalistic system and makes it work. Capitalism survives and thrives because we are corrupt. the third thing that we see in Genesis 3 is that all of creation is corrupted. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food. Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. Every area of creation has been corrupted because of the sin of humanity. We have natural disasters, we have diseases, we have corruption of every kind, and it all goes back to to the sin and the disobedience of humanity. We even have laws that describe this. Uh, I was looking up the second law of thermodynamics. There are hundreds of ways to describe the law of thermodynamics. I picked out some of the best ones. Listen to this. Usable energy is running out. Information tends to get scrambled. Order tends towards disorder. A random jumble won't organize itself. Isolated systems seek a dead level. The entropy of the universe tends to increase. The law of nature which says that things wear out. No natural processes can occur unless it is accompanied by an increase in the entropy of the universe. The second law of thermodynamics says everything is wearing out and getting worse. That's a scientific law, a scientific principle that is, uh, is, is pretty overwhelming. And scientists of every field have seen this play out in various forms. Uh, look it up on Google, you'll, you'll find all kinds of amazing things. Everything breaks down, our bodies. Eventually, our bodies will get sick. Even the most toned, the most athletic, the most healthy person who eats only the healthiest things their entire life and does everything right, that person will someday die. Their body will become corrupted. Their body will either become through disease or through a car accident, through some way in their lifetime. They will not survive forever. All bodies will break down. This past week, I was looking up, we put some videos, and we put some other um, things related to the sermon online. You can check it out under the 100 things. And uh, we found some videos of uh, fruits, that people had taken a picture of fruit, and they, uh, they, they, they videotaped it over the course of several days and weeks. And you can watch this beautiful apple just mold in front of you and slowly disintegrate. You can watch uh, this plate of uh, beautiful fruit. It looks like a picture, like somebody would want to paint, like still life. And it just turns all brown and shrivels up and shrinks into nothing. This week I also saw a, a, a flicker set of sports cars from all around the world. The thing, though, that was unique about these sports cars is that these sports cars were all abandoned in, in barns and they were all rusted and they were in junkyards, and they were just disintegrated. They were at one time beautiful, amazing sports cars, very powerful things that people would be very proud to drive around in. You look at them now; they're just wrecks. They're rusted. They're corrupted. And it's obvious as we look at our world, we see natural disasters, and diseases. Everywhere we look, there's a you can see a breakdown and a corruption in creation of this world. Think about it. If you buy a brand new computer, you take it home, you're so excited, you start putting stuff on it. It doesn't matter if it's a Mac or a PC. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. What happens is the longer you have that computer, the more things start to get corrupted on it. It may get viruses. Maybe not if it's a Mac. But even a Mac, believe it or not, you'll start noticing if you don't don't organize it If you're not on top of it, before you know it, your computer has just files spread everywhere and random orders, and you can't find anything. And before long, it it just is a mess. Eventually, computers get to the point where they're just worthless. You can't do anything with them because they're just so jumbled. You either have to erase them and start from scratch, or just, you know, at some point, they do eventually just break down, especially when the hard drives start clicking, things like that. Even in the things that we, we we use every day, we see this corruption, this breaking down. So, often we try and we seek out human solutions to the problems of corruption and sin. Let's look at Adam and Eve. What was the first thing that they tried to do? They went... And they, the first thing they noticed was, like, wow, we're naked. We need to deal with this. We need to do something about this. So they're like, ah, we need to cover ourselves. So they went and they grabbed some fig leaves. These are fig leaves. Imagine sewing these things together and trying to make clothing out of them. That is such a futile thing. And that is so often what human solutions are like. We try to sew things together that really they're so brittle and they're so thin and they're so fine. And honestly, of all the leaves you could pick, I don't know why you would choose fig leaves. I think maybe an oak leaf or something like that might be better. But these leaves are just not going to do it. They're not going to cut it. It's like trying to paint over rust. You may paint right over it. It may look beautiful for a time. But eventually, if you don't deal with the rust problem, the rust is going to break right through. We live in a world that is constantly seeking human solutions to a spiritual problem. Think about it, politics. We think that if only the right person becomes the president, or becomes the governor, or becomes whatever, they'll solve all our problems. It doesn't matter who is in office. It doesn't matter what party is in office. Human solutions can only take us so far, and they will not get at the root of sin in our lives. We think science might solve our problems. We think some scientific breakthrough will, will heal all of our diseases or find, find the one thing that will keep us alive forever. But the truth is, no scientific solution, no human solution, will fully deal with the sin problem and the corruption in this world. Sometimes we think, if only we pour enough money into this problem, it will be fixed. If we pour enough money into this this school system or this health system or this whatever, it will fix it. It'll, it'll, feel, it'll heal all the problems that are in the system. Most of the time, the problems aren't monetary. They're sin issues. They're issues of corruption. So we can try to do human solutions. And not all these solutions... I'm, I'm not saying that all these things are bad. I'm just saying they're not going to solve the root issue. But if we look at God's solutions... There are two things that, that stuck out to me as, uh, as we look through Genesis 3. The first one is God said, God made a garment of skin for Adam and Eve. So you might read over this and think, oh, that's interesting. Garment of skin. Yeah, that seems better than leaves. That's nice. Very practical. But I think there is a f- deeper foreshadowing and a deeper purpose here. Yes, the skin of this animal would uh, cover them and serve them well. It would be durable. It would hold up. But it's a foreshadowing that when, when we sin, when there is corruption in our lives, that blood must be shed to cover over that sin. There's a foreshadowing here of something greater that may be happening, something greater that God has in store. Also, in the middle of the curse that God gives. He said, The offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman there will be enmity between them. That means they'll they'll be in a constant battle throughout throughout history. But don't worry. While the serpent will bruise the heel of the man, the man will crush the serpent. This is totally bizarre and really strange language. and In the midst of of the context of what's happening, you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't really know what's going on. But this is God's first glimpse that He has a plan in place. Something better that he has in store. Right at the moment of sin, right in the moment of consequence, right in the darkest hour of humanity, God says, I have a plan, this is not the end. The man will survive and man will triumph. He leaves us with a glimmer of hope in the midst of the darkest hour. Imagine if you're one of the people who uh, lost or is on the verge of losing a house of foreclosure. Uh, POFO showed me a list of, of the world's richest and wealthiest people who lost billions or even everything. Imagine if you're one of those people. It's a dark hour in your life. And there's a whisper that the government may be having a bailout plan for you. There's a whisper, there's a hint, there's a possibility. You hear in the news, for this certain set of people, the the house is considering a bailout plan. Wouldn't you latch on to that hope? Wouldn't that inspire, wouldn't that give you a a sense of, oh, there's something better happening? There may be a possibility. It's not for certain, but something, there's, there's a hint of hope still in our life. In the midst of our darkest hour, that's what God did for us. Selfishness is destroying our world. Our thought of ourselves over God and our thought of ourselves over others is destroying every facet of human interaction. Sin, as it entered the world, not only corrupted humans and our relationships, but it corrupted every aspect of creation. Every area in our world where we look, we find corruption and entropy. And it's not supposed to be this way. This isn't the way we were designed. Everyone knows it. Even my friend who is an atheist knows this is not the way it's supposed to be. This isn't right. Recognizing the sin and corruption in our lives points us to something better. Don't despair. This isn't the end of the story. The story is just being set up. Stay tuned. There's much more to come. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for the world that you set up, the creation that you gave us, this place that lived up to your ideals for us as humans, a place where we are able to live with freedom and walk with you and serve one another and love one another, a place where we were able to eat of the fruit of the land and. And enjoy our work, and enjoy our family and our friends, Lord. This was a place that was beautiful, a place that was the way where everything was the way it should be. Father, we pray that you will work in our hearts and continue to draw us to this place of shalom, a place where relationships are set right, a place where the world is put back in order. Lord, we ask you to do this in our hearts. And in the hearts of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.